Welcome to the Glenelg Hopkins CMA podcast, a podcast giving you an insight to what happens behind the acronym GHCMA. Hi, I'm Liz Meacham. In this series, we're having a look at what a catchment management authority does, and we're trying to give you an insight into how we're protecting and enhancing the land, the waterways, and the biodiversity of the Glenelg Hopkins region of southwest Victoria. In today's podcast, we're out in the grasslands, tossing golf balls into quadrants with researchers from the Arthur Ryler Institute. Brad Farmelo loves talking grasslands ecology, and he's pretty passionate about the projects being undertaken not just to tick boxes about how many kilometres of fences have been put up or how many plants have been planted. Instead, he's all about creating useful and usable information and data for landholders and land managers and the people making the decisions about investments to make sure practice change doesn't just happen at grass level, but also at policy level. To catch him, we had to have a chat in the paddock and join a farm tour, which was all about showing how farmers are able to practically protect native grassland areas and continue their commercial farming operations. But what that does mean is that there's a bit of wind in our audio in today's episode. Our apologies for that, we decided that the information he was giving was too important to cut out just for a little bit of wind noise. I'm Brad Farmlow from the Arthur Ryler Institute for Environmental Research and I'm a grassland ecologist. So we're standing in the middle of a paddock now. Yeah. What are you actually doing in a paddock? I'm monitoring these grasslands. I'm trying to understand how they're changing and and how we can make them better. And this is not the first time you've been in a paddock. How long have you been monitoring grasslands? Uh, I've been monitoring grasslands for about 10 years now. Yep. And this particular paddock, we're up near Ararat. How long have you been wandering around this paddock? Been wandering around this paddock for three years now, but working with the landholder for, for almost 10 years now, which is great. Yep. And are you seeing a difference over that period of time? We see lots of changes in the grasslands <laughs> and, and often really beneficial changes as a result of the management that's being in, undertaken. Yep. So today you're here with Lindsay and Ben and Rhiannon and you're crawling around with quadrats and golf balls and species ID things. This is an annual thing that you do? Absolutely, yeah. Every spring we come down to these series of landholders and uh, monitor their paddocks using a, a variety of methods, but always on our hands and knees getting dirty and uh, seeing all the little <laughs> gems that occur in them. And today is a glorious day to be walking around in. I can't imagine it's like this all of the time. No, well, not always, but when it does turn, the weather turns on, we're always very fortunate that uh, we get this kind of conditions, but we come out rain, hail or shine. Yep. And have you found anything particularly interesting in the paddock today? Look, just always the wildflowers. It's always the, the gem in the, the crown. Consummate pers- professional <laughs> with this. <laughs> like a politician answering this. Like, I know, I do you have a favourite wildflower, Brad? <laughs> like- My favourite wildflower would be the Brunonia australis, the, uh, the blue pink cushion. Oh, well, there's some of those here. We're standing right around them right now. Oh, we're standing on them? <laughs> no, no, we've managed to avoid them. They're right. just about to come out and flower. Beautiful pink to purple. Uh, sorry. Beautiful blue to purple colour. Yeah. Um, fantastic en masse. Right. And so today you are in a grassland that you've been before. Is there anything particularly special about today's grassland or it's just a really good example of a grassland, native grassland? 
Yeah, this is a great example of a native grassland. Um, and a lot of the, or all of the landholders that we deal with have fantastic examples of grassland. And it's about trying to maintain them and, and then and potentially make them better. Yep. So now we'll go and join Aggie on the paddock walk. And the really cool part about what Brad does, landholders get sort of a little report each year, which gives them a list of the species that have been recorded, exotic and native, and just a, a really simple pictorial way of saying this is how your site's doing, this is what you need to do. Maybe biomass levels are too high, you might want to think about getting the sheep in a bit earlier or vice versa. So I'm not going to talk anymore about it because that's what Brad does. So thank you very much, Brad, for coming on. Thanks for having Take me. Take it Maggie. away. Thank you That's for the right. intro. It's not often I get to use my title as a doctor. I don't, I don't get to use it very <laughs> often. So thank you for that. It's a bit of a feather in my cap. Um, yeah, Aggie's done a really good job of kind of setting the scene there. What we're kind of working towards here is a conversation about monitoring, and that's what's happening behind me. Um, and I'll get to that in a little bit, but there's lots of things that we can do to help learn about how these grasslands are changing and what we can do to make them better, essentially, through, through targeted management. Um, obviously, we know these grasslands are pretty rare in this landscape these days. Um, they've encountered a lot of, you know, uh, pressures through land clearance or, um, re you know, removal of burning or change over grazing and other things. Um, and so that means that they're really threatened. But really, they harbour a great amount of biodiversity. They're really important systems. A lot of species that only occur in them, you, you, a lot of species found in them only occur here. And they also have a, a, a huge amount of cultural significance as well. So it's really important things to note. Um, the other part of it is that we've got some left and what we do have left, we have some really fantastic examples of, which is what we're kind of looking at right here. Um, and, you know, you might have seen on roadsides and in cemeteries and other areas where grasslands tend to have been able to hold on. Um, so we've got a baseline. We can learn from these sites and we can then work towards, you know, firstly maintaining beautiful sites like this and then actually then working towards improving them, making them better. Um, and, and that's kind of what, what monitoring is trying to do. We're trying to learn uh, and the best way to do that, you know, there's two ways. Um, traditional owners might have made observations over generations that then they, they handed down um, to the next generation through stories and that kind of information is sort of what we're doing. Uh, we're fast tracking it though. We're collecting information, uh, quantifying things, collecting, counting things, um, collecting numbers that'll help us look at trends and, um, and relate those trends to what we're doing and trying to learn how to do things better essentially. Um, so the things that we can do to make these grasslands better, you've probably touched on uh, here at Pete's place. Pete has this wonderful grassland. Um, it's here in the sort of the northern sections of the VVP. And so grazing is a really good strategy to help maintain these grasslands and can also be used to improve them by, you know, reductions in weeds and things like that. And they're types of things that we've been learning over the last few years. Uh, other sites you might find that the, you know, burning might be a better approach to, to managing the grasslands. It might be more desirable for the landholder it might be a system that's better suited to burning um, so grazing and burning are a couple of key things we can do also weed control um, is another thing that we can do to help kind of control the threat of weeds and that's often via herbicide applications and things like that um, but they're the kind of the main management regimes or actions that we can do but obviously if we want to learn how to do these things better we've got to monitor them and so monitoring in the simplest sense is is collecting any information the simplest form of monitoring would be an observation. You come to a place, you notice something, you remember it. Um, you come back the next year, you see the same thing, you remember it. You come back the next year, it's not there, you remember that. That's the simplest form of monitoring. You could take photos. Um, so photos are a really great example of 
looking at something, you won't know what all the species are, but they'll give you a feel for what's happening at that site at that point in time. Uh, and then it can ramp up. It can get into um, the more sophisticated methods that we tend to use. Some are, you know, still on that kind of coarser end, the rapid approach to monitoring, and I'll, I'll go through those in a minute. And others are more detailed, which is what I'll get to behind me with this big plot, where essentially we get down on our hands and knees, like Aggie said, and and uh, and really explore what's happening. We find every species. We we determine how much there are with a really um, accurate approach. So monitoring can be anything. So that's worth keeping in mind. It doesn't have to be sophisticated stuff like that I'll explain a bit later. It can be anything and I encourage you all to do that in one way, shape or form. Um, what kind of information do we collect? Well, we use plant communities as a really good surrogate for what's happening in grasslands. So although there's lots of stuff happening outside of the world of plants, there's invertebrates, there's reptiles and all kinds of things. If we know what's happening with the plants, we've got a pretty good idea about what's happening in the grassland. Um, and so that's where we focus our attention. We feel like we can get a lot of information that way. Um, and, you know, if the grasslands are going well, we assume that the other things that rely on grasslands are doing well as well. Um, so that's what we mean by a surrogate. Um, and so we're interested in plant communities. They're a good indicator. Um, and we want to know at our level what types of species are found here and how much of them are there. Um, and then in addition to that, we also want to know about structure. We want to know how much biomass or plant material is there. I'm, I'm sure some of you guys have been introduced to this idea that the grasslands, you know, if unmanaged, can really quite grow quite quickly and, and almost smother themselves out. Even a native-dominated grassland with thermida, if left unburnt or unmanaged um, over a long period of time, can essentially outgrow and outcompete everything that occurs around it and even itself to some extent um, sometimes. So we need to do um, some management to, to help inform that and so structure is another important thing that we want to collect some information on it's sort of every management every property is kind of dealt has a, ma a unique management plan i suppose which aggie and ben kind of develop and there are properties that are essentially all grazing there are properties that are all burning there's properties that have a bit of both uh, ideally you know in a scientific sense you have lots and lots of these sites and therefore you have lots of replication of each of the different types of management you can explore those things really really um in, in real detail. So ideally we'd have hundreds of properties that have this, you know, sort of these, these monitoring um, or these sampling going on in them. We have fewer sites, but we have, we're building a really nice temporal data set. So that'll allow us to kind of understand what's happening at a site by site level. And there'll be cases where we can kind of merge some sites that occur in the same landscape that might be doing different things management wise. And so sort of tracking how they change through time. Um, but yeah, we're kind of still developing those things. And so at the moment it's more about uh, informing landholders about management, what's happening at their sites. But yeah, we do have intentions of kind of really exploring these data sets and, and, and really, you know, to some extent, monitoring data is fantastic and useful in and of itself because it helps inform decisions. But I'm also a researcher, so I'm really keen to try and bring all this stuff together and, and look at producing peer-reviewed science, you know, the, the, the higher end of, of what influences a lot of the, the policy and the decisions that we make when it comes to managing grasslands. I'm going to ask, how long do you expect, if, if you find a grassland that there's just, you know, the, the management drastically needs to be changed, mm -hmm. how long would you expect to have to wait until you see some real changes in that grassland? Yeah, well, look, you know, it depends on a couple of things. And, you know, every site's unique, so it'll depend on if we're in the middle of a drought, well, I probably don't if, expect if to see. If we have totally if we have consistent good conditions, conditions, yep. And we switch to a management regime that's more appropriate for mm -hmm. that grassland, so maybe it's getting overgrazed and we move to more sensitive grazing or some burning 
then we can see really dramatic changes quite quickly. You know, it uh, it, it won't happen overnight, but it's um, these programs tend to last, you know, five years. And I, some of those programs, I've seen things change really dramatically from day one to day, well, to year one to year five. Um, and it, you know, it's it's all horses for courses, so it's a bit difficult yeah. to answer. Have you got a? You kind of leading me down to a particular. No, no, I, I suppose just like the Ely you're talking about. I've always got leading questions, but, but I suppose sort of the monitoring. It's it is a real challenge to convince the investors the importance of monitoring. They they want to see on ground action. You know, do things, put up put up a structure, put up a fence, put sheep in there. Do you know, do something. Whereas it's they, they see the benefit in this, obviously, or they wouldn't fund this, but it's it's a harder sell. The more monitoring we can do and then feed that back to the landholders and then us almost monitoring the landholders, seeing them change their management, that's what we need to show the investors that this isn't a, you know, go and put up a couple of fences and plant trees and, hey, presto, you've got trees all of a sudden. This, this is... Like, yeah, and, and depending on the seasons you have, you can see some pretty quick change. But there's so many things that we've got to keep convincing the investors of the importance of this. We've got to keep remembering mm. there's not many places that have this on them. And this is, yep. yeah. So so it's just, it's that ongoing need for monitoring and doing this and showing how things change. And, yeah, if we had the funding to be able to broaden this out, so we had, you know, 20 farmers with this management. Because, I mean, there's there's... People who graze and then there's people who graze. Like Pete's got a different grazing regime to say, you know, what Tom has and then to what Chris has got. So there's, it's, yeah. Yeah, but it's a good point because for too long we've kind of been reporting up the line about how many hectares of fences were were, were fenced or how many litres of herbicide were applied or how many trees were planted, but it doesn't tell us about whether or not things are getting better. And so that's what the monitoring is really trying to do. It's doing it in a really sophisticated way based on a lot of peer-reviewed literature that's already been done before us that says these are the things you need to monitor, you need to measure, and once you combine all these things together, you get a really clear picture about the overall condition, that's a word we use, or quality of, of this site. Um, and that's what we're trying to generate, that information, so we can report up the line and say, hey, you invested in this monitoring and look at all these fantastic outcomes we've got. We're not talking about kilometres of fencing, we're talking about improvements in grassland condition, mm. which is what you really need to be talking about when we're trying to, you know, we're using money to try and make these places better. The only way we're yeah. going to know that is by yeah. collecting the, the types of data that we, we collect. And there's different ways to do that. But, yep. yeah, that's that's the real goal of monitoring, I think, as well. Mm. Um, so it's about informing locally, informing landholders, and then informing up the line about how, you know, the success of the program and, and where we need to you know, do more, what we could do differently, how could we do this better, yeah. um, those types of learnings yeah. of what we can derive from monitoring as well. Farmers, like I think, you know, everyone's used to going and, you know, at this time of year especially and going into summer when you think, you know, when are you going to start, you know, hook the oak feeder up and start feeding. You're all out assessing how much food on offer you've got. Whether you realise it or not, most people just do it instinctively and say, oh, God, I've only got 500 kilos of feed there. I need to start feeding. This is the same thing just with native plants instead and that's that's all it is. So it's just sort of, for, I think most farmers do sort of once they sort of realise that it's it's just an extension of what we already know because we know the triggers for when we need to start feeding our sheep or cattle or whatever. So Yeah, that's yeah. a good point and that probably leads me on. I, I would like to demonstrate a couple of the, the approaches to monitoring that we take um, just so you can get a feel of it. And one of it is quite relevant, relevant to that, Aggie, in the sense that um, 
one of these coarse sort of rapid ways of monitoring grasslands is to look at structure. Therefore, I don't need to know what the plants are. I just need to be able to have a set of eyes and, uh, and in this case, see some golf balls. So this is a, this is a really rapid approach that we've, well, you know, ARI's been using for a long time. Um, established by grassland ecologists in southeastern Australia, um, John Morgan, which was one, I think. Um, and so across this site, we have this large, we'll call that the detailed monitoring plot, but also right around it, within the whole kind of remnant grassland, we have a series of these quadrats. In this case, we've got 20. At each of these sites, we would go, um, and we've got two things we need to do, essentially. We want to yeah, understand what the structure of the grassland is at that point in time, at that, at that location. To do that, um, we can use golf balls. Uh, the simple idea is that if you pop the golf balls in and we've got 18, apparently the number 18 was only determined by how many golf balls the person who designed it had at the time. So <laughs> 18, holes. 18 holes makes a lot of sense, but it's actually it's, a, it's, a, it's untrue. But, you know, my dad always says, never ruin a good story with the facts, but I, I have done that today, so sorry, Dad. <laughs> quickly this is just a matter of, we're looking at the golf balls how many golf balls can I see each golf ball will get scored um, about how much we can see so it'll get a zero if I can pretty much see no golf ball we have a threshold of 30% so if I can see less than 30% of the golf ball I'm scoring that golf ball is zero if I can see between 30 and 90% of the golf ball, don't ask me why the thresholds are there they, they do make sense um, but between 30 and 90 I'm going to give that a half a point for that golf ball and if I can see all of the golf ball, or more than 90% of it, I'm going to give that golf ball a score of one. So the maximum score I can have is 18. If I can see all the golf balls, obviously the lowest score I can have is zero, but that's that's unlikely. But in this case, we have quite good vis visibility of the golf balls. Um, you know, everyone would have a slightly different number depending on where you're looking from. Um, it's a bit about perspective, but it's it's a repeatable thing so that we can we can trust that it's kind of consistent through time. And so if I was to accumulate all those individual scores, I would end up with a score of 17 and a half. So that number tells me that this is, you know, it's a fairly, uh, you know, perhaps low biomass um, or, or, or low kind of vertical structure. It's got a lot of cover. It's almost 100% plant cover. But um, in terms of the structure, the three-dimensional kind of aspect of the grassland, it's, it's pretty open. Um, you would, might go to different sections of the grassland today, um, areas that have lots of, you know, the holcus, the bog grass, like the harmi or the, the thermidor over there that can get quite big and thatchy. You might find you're getting a score of five or six or seven. Um, and the point of this is it's kind of trying to identify a trigger for when you do something. So if those numbers start to get to a point, and every grassland will be slightly different as to where that point is, but if you get to that point, it starts to send you a signal that you should be doing something. We could maybe... Maybe Peter, you know, should have some stock in here at an appropriate time of year, or if he was burning, you know, maybe a burn would be on the horizon, that kind of thing. So that's what it tells us. Um, and that's the golf ball method. Um, thanks, Nick. Um, that's the golf ball method. The other thing we do within these quadrats is really quickly um, to, uh, you know, uh, identify all the species that occur there. Um, for us, you know, we don't need to do that together, but there's a variety of species, probably not the best example, but... Uh, you've got some exotic things, um, so the, the yellow flowers are the cats here, the fog grass is the, the sort of the tall grass, but below that you've got um, some native grasses, so some wallaby grasses, microlina, the weeping grass is in there, we've, we've just been doing the monitoring behind me, 
Um, and often forbs and things like that. And it's the forbs, the, the, the herbs are the things that we're particularly interested in because they're the thing you lose really quickly if, um, if the management is, is, you know, not appropriate perhaps. Maybe you could think of that as more the historical types of management regimes than might have. The best part about listening to Brad and Aggie engage with landholders about grasslands is how practical they make it all. Real-world examples of how environmental conservation and farming can effectively and commercially coexist. Thanks to Brad and the other team members from the Arthur Ryler Institute, Aggie and Ben and the Glenelg Hopkins CMA team out in the field, and for those people who attended the field day and let me record while they wandered around in a paddock, If you would like to see some vision of the day, including how you throw golf balls around in a quadrant to record how much vegetation you have in the paddock, you can see a video on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com and search for Glenelg Hopkins CMA. Now, if you want to find out what else we're up to at the CMA, there's a few places you can find us online. You can find our website at www.ghcma.vic.gov.au or you can find us on social media. On Facebook, we are Glenelg Hopkins CMA and on Instagram and Twitter, we are GHCMA. Now, if you'd like to find out what else the Arthur Ryler Institute researchers are up to, it's not all about grasslands. There's some water work, some fish and some fauna work that they do you can check out their website at www.ari.vic.gov.au. The field day that we went tromping around a paddock in was part of the Victorian Volcanic Plains Recovery Project, which is supported by the Glenelg Hopkins CMA with funding from the Australian Government's National Land Care Program. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 